0: Welcome to the Sunday Service Podcast of First Universalist Church, a Unitarian Universalist congregation located in Minneapolis, Minnesota. We are a radically welcoming and progressive religious community, deeply committed to love, justice, spiritual growth, and living out our values in the world. To learn more, visit us online at firstuniversalistchurch.org.
1: good morning everybody and welcome how are you today so glad to be here with you in worship hi Amy hi Anne also known as Jeff Lennox Hello,
2: (laughs) technology and emails right hello everybody
1: so wonderful that we can be here together and that this is possible even a year plus into it I'm still pretty amazed that this is how we handle this it's great it's really great My name is Julica Herman de la Fuente, and I am the Director of Liberation and Transformation Ministries here at First Universalist. We're really glad that you're with us, streaming from Point South, North, East, West, all around from 3400 DuPont Avenue. And whether you're here with us live this morning or you're watching this later on YouTube, we're really glad. We're really glad that you're here for over 160 years in the universalist spirit of love and hope, we have been the people who give, receive and grow together. We are the people who welcome, affirm and protect the light in each human heart. We listen deeply to where love is calling us next and with humility, courage and compassion, we act to create a more just world. We do all of this as a faith community committed to ending all forms of oppression and especially committed to racial justice. This is the life that we invite you into when you journey with us. And this is the spirit alive in our worship today. It's good to be together today and to anticipate a time in the near future when some of us will be able to gather in person again and where all of us will be able to remain connected through the magic of the technology and the internet being together and pausing to reflect on our lives and our communal work is good for our souls. As we begin our worship service, let's take some smooth breaths together. Let's take a moment to ground in our space and in our bodies in whatever way feels good and helpful to each of us. I invite you to take a moment to just breathe arrive. Let go of the things that were before. Let go of the things that are coming next. Let us be here now. I invite you to light your chalices in your homes or in your heart, along with Henry and Kate. Let us begin. Love is the spirit of this church and service is its law. This is our great covenant to dwell together in peace, to seek the truth and love and to help one another.
3: Good morning, everyone. This morning, I'm going to tell a story that you all may have heard before. It's a story by Hans Christian Andersen. Uh, so it starts with this emperor whose favorite thing in the world is clothes. And so he spends all his money on clothes. He doesn't care much for the affairs of being the emperor more than he loves to be seen in the most dazzling outfits. And so everybody in the kingdom and in the surrounding kingdoms know this about this emperor. And so these two guys come into the kingdom, these rogues, and they say that they can make the most exquisite suits. And the emperor is intrigued because he loves, loves clothing so much, He sends for these guys. And they say, yes, we can weave the most beautiful fabric and we can also endow the fabric with the ability to show who is wise and who is fit for their jobs. Anyone who cannot see the fabric is not wise and is unfit for the office that they hold. And the emperor thought, oh. Hmm, that's amazing. Not only will I look incredible, I will be able to tell who in my court should be doing what they're doing and who I should fire. And so quickly he hired the two weavers and they set up looms and they went to work. Actually, these guys were swindlers they weren't weaving anything, but they made an elaborate performance in front of these wombs. They called all of the people in the kingdom to bring them silks and golds. And then they sat there and they pretended to weave this fabric. Day after day in front of these looms, they pretended like they were weaving this fabric. Well, the emperor was so excited. He really wanted to see how it was going. But he was a little concerned that he might learn that he was unfit for his job. And he didn't want anybody else to know that. So he thought, who can I send? Oh, I know, I know. I'll send my top advisor. I know him to be wise, I know that he is perfect at his job. He will go and look at the fabric for me and tell me how it's going. So he sent his top advisor to the room where these two men were working. And when he walked into the room and he saw the looms with nothing on them, he thought, oh, am I not wise? Should I maybe not have this position in the court? And the two weavers said, oh, come, come closer, come closer. Look at this. Do you do you like the design? Do you, do you like the colors that we've chosen? And the advisor said, uh, yes it is extraordinary the emperor will be so pleased and so he went back to the emperor and he said the same thing he said oh it's incredible you are going to love it well a little more time went by and the emperor was growing more and more excited about this beautiful suit that was being made for him and so he said uh, I'm still not ready to go look at it myself because I don't want I don't I don't I don't know what's going to happen but I'm going to send someone else and so he sent his second top advisor, who once again went to the room where the two men were working, weaving this imaginary fabric on these huge looms. And he stepped into the room and he too thought, I don't see anything good. Uh, this doesn't mean that I'm stupid and unfit for my job. And the weaver said, "Ah, oh, we are beginning to put fabric together and to make the jacket. Look at this jacket. Do you like the cut of it? Do you think the the emperor will will like the style of this jacket that we're making for him? And the second advisor said, "Uh, yeah, yeah, oh yeah, that's amazing. I have never seen anything so beautiful, so exquisite in my life. And he went back to the emperor and he told him the same thing. He said, it's amazing you're going to love it. Don't you worry yourself at all. You will be the talk of all of the kingdoms. And so finally the day arrived when the weavers said that the, the suit was complete. And so they sent for the emperor and the emperor walked into the room and they said to him, what do you think? What do you think? Look, uh, we were told that you would love these colors in this pattern and that you would love the way that everything is cut. And, 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 and the emperor said, Oh uh, yeah 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 that's amazing he couldn't see anything at all he said it's it's, it's it's the most beautiful thing I've ever seen. I I can't wait to I can I try it on can I try it on will you put and the, the weaver said yes 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 we'll put it on you now and so the king sent word out I'm sorry the emperor sent word out throughout the kingdom and he said gather all of the people to see my, my suit I I want everybody to see my suit, my debut of this beautiful suit that I've had made. I've spent so much money on this suit. Everyone is going to be amazed. And so as the people began to gather outside the castle, the two weavers pretended to put this imaginary suit on the king. They had him get undressed and they had him stand there and step into some invisible pants, put on, and they buttoned up an invisible shirt. They had him get into an exquisite supposedly jacket and they wrapped i a, a, a fa- I'm sorry, a scarf around his neck. And the whole time they were telling him, this fabric is as light as cobwebs. That's why you can't feel it. And when they were done, the king called to two of his servants and he said, you'll have to carry my train. And the two servants felt around on the ground and they couldn't feel anything. So they knelt down and they pretended to pick up the edges of his jacket. And so the emperor made his way out of the castle to make his procession in front of the whole kingdom. And as he walked out in front of all of the people, they all said, oh, oh. And then realizing that if they can't see it, they must be unwise and unfit for their job. Suddenly they, they all applauded and they all said, oh, that's incredible. And they lauded him with all of this praise about how beautiful his suit was. And he made his way along getting all of the praise and all of the people exclaiming how they would love to have such a rich and fine suit like that one. Until he passed by a little girl who looked and she tugged at her dad's coat sleeve. And she said, dad, dad, look look, the emperor doesn't have on any clothes. And suddenly that whisper began to spread throughout the crowd until soon everyone was laughing at the emperor and saying out loud, he, has, he doesn't have on any clothes. He doesn't have on any clothes. And the emperor could hear everyone laughing at him. And he knew that he didn't have on any clothes then, but he continued his procession with his servants behind him holding up the tail of no suit at all, and he made his way back into the castle. What a wise little girl though, right? And that is the story of the emperor's new clothes. Next, we will hear Shine On Me, sung by Melanie Damore. Hello,
4: you you family. I'm going to sing a song with you called Shine On Me. It's an amazing spiritual that anybody can sing. And in these days, when the things that we're dealing with, the feelings separate, and all of that, and things seem so hard, this is one of those songs that you just throw your head back, put it in your medicine kit. All you have to do is ask. And here's how it goes. Shine on me, oh, shine on me. Let the light from the lighthouse shine on me, oh, shine on me. Yes, shine on me. Let the light from the lighthouse shine on me. Lift me up, oh lift me up. Let the light from the lighthouse lift me up. Oh, lift me up, yes, lift me up. Let the light from the lighthouse lift me up. Oh, hold me close, yes, hold. Let the, light, Let the light from the light, light house, from the lighthouse hold me close, yes, hold, hold me, me close. So oh, me close. close. Let the night
5: from the lighthouse
4: please hold me Oh, shine Shine on me, me. yes, shine shine on me, let the light light from the the lighthouse shine on me, oh, shine on me, yes, shine. Let the light from the lighthouse shine.
1: Thank you, Melanie Moore. Thank you, thank you, thank you for that reminder for that powerful music ministry. And thank you, Amy, you are such a good storyteller. You bring old stories back to life. I love it and I really appreciate you, thank you. I invite us all now to come to the collective well of prayer. Let us invoke love. Let us name our struggles and our joys as we do every time we gather. Let us have our truths be held in community. Spirit of life and love, we are grateful for this time together. We are grateful for this space where we can acknowledge all of our feelings. We take this moment in the name of all that we hold holy to lament, to grieve our losses, to talk about what's hard. We witness and share the grief of the indigenous people in South Dakota yesterday who were holding vigil as the remains of too many children killed at boarding schools were brought home to rest. We recognize that the fight at line three continues and we lament that this is needed. These are two of many examples of the way the different forms of interconnected oppression are in our world spirit, and we see them and we recognize them and we lament them. We name them, we own them, and we ask for your help. We ask for strength, spirit of life, spirit of love. We ask for strength to continue the good fight and to help us get into good trouble. And we also name that we have difficulties and challenges and losses in our personal lives and here in this community. And now it's your turn friends. Tell us how it is with your spirit this morning and what would you have us hold with you? What is hard? What challenges do you and your beloved's face that we can hold them together? Please share in the chat. Thank you for using the chat, friends, and supporting each other and acknowledging each other's losses and challenges and all of the work and the things that that we are encountering. I appreciate you naming those things. Let's breathe in together. And let's also make room for what's good, for the small daily miracles that help us stay resilient and connected, that help us keep going. I celebrate the board meeting this past Thursday where the new board did some really great team building. It was really wonderful to witness and to participate and to know that this new church year begins with a strong new board, which is really great. I appreciate your service, board. Thank you. Thank you for saying yes. I'd like to hear from you in the chat, please, friends. What is helping? What is good? What keeps you going? What is a gift that you name? and receive. Yes. Yes, music, and butterflies, and family, and flowers, and gardens, and time outside. Yes, all of the things that help us keep it together and keep going all of those things are true as well. For the things that we've shared and for the things held quietly in our hearts, holding it all, together we pray. May the grip of addiction be loosened. May the weight of oppression be lightened. May grief be shared. May joy break through. And may love make every suffering bearable for
4: us all. Amen. Spirit of life,
0: come unto me. Sing in my heart all the
4: stirrings of compassion. Blow with the wind hand, giving life the shape of justice. Roots hold me close, wings set me free. Spirit of life, come to me, come to me.
2: Good morning. For those of you who may not know, um, this is only the second church that I have ever served as a minister. The first one was when I started when I was in seminary called Church of the Open Door in Chicago, which was a very particular community and congregation. So this is really my first traditional UU church to work in. And because I feel so comfortable with you, and that I can be myself and share some thoughts with you from time to time in this format called a sermon or a homily. It's because I feel so comfortable that I have to be able to sometimes get something off my chest. And I got something to do for you today. I got to tell you. I am really sick and tired of wishy-washy Unitarian Universalists who tell people outside of our faith that you can be a UU and believe whatever you want to believe. That is simply not true. We don't have a robotic creed of allegiance to a distant distant deity Uh, we do have however principles that we try to live by every day to make the world a better place while we don't have a story of redemption or salvific glory we do have purposes that propel us forward to do good in the world while we do not have a litmus test to belong we do have sources of inspiration that tickle our intellect and make our hearts pound with possibility. I get why some you use describe our faith in vague terms that make the listener turn their heads like a confused puppy. I get it. Some who find their way to Unitarian Universalism may feel adrift in all of this openness, all of this freedom, all of these options. And yet, as broad as it is, Unitarian Universalism is not nothing in particular, and it is not everything all at once without boundaries and definition, nor is it all the religions of the world thrown into one pot and stirred into a stew. It is a particular tradition in itself, primarily an American tradition, a particular river of progressive ideas and vision. It's a living family. It's a living family tree that's rooted in our uniquely American evolution. Think about our faith like a, as being really, really wide, but defined by a trunk that's clear and present, while sprawling branches that extend like the roots of aspen trees. That is our faith. Now, today and next week, when I'm also preaching again, I want to address not our expansive vagaries. We have plenty of that. But really, I want to focus on our vertical specificity, not our expansive vagaries, but our vertical specificity by exploring the sources of Unitarian Universalism. And today I want to look at the second source of Unitarian Universalism. And it reads, words and deeds of prophetic people which challenge us to confront powers and structures of evil with justice, compassion, and the transforming power of love. The big word that
4: screams
2: out at us in this source is prophetic. We have now lots of ideas about who's a prophet and what's prophetic, yet lots of our ideas about these words are misinformation because of language. It's an unfortunate Greek translation. Actually, it's an error that makes so many of us English speakers misunderstand the role of the prophet in Judeo Christian history and mythology. The ancient Jewish prophetic tradition has far less to do with predicting the future and performing miracles than it does with speaking truth to power and demanding justice. Understood this way, prophets are not limited to biblical text. Socrates was a prophet. Siddhartha was a prophet. Frederick Douglass was a prophet. Susan B. Anthony and Sojourner Truth. William Lloyd Garrison were prophets. Mother Jones was a prophet. Martin Luther King, Malcolm X, Thich Nahan, Daniel Berrigan, Bell Hooks, Kendrick Lamar is a prophet now. Cesar Chavez, Tim Wise, Angela Davis, all prophets. So here's the thing, friends, about our second source that really should make you scared. In fact, it should fill us with a healthy level of fear and anxiety. Our second source, if you look carefully, is worded in the present tense. It is worded in the present tense. We are to heed the words and deeds of prophetic people who challenge us to confront powers and structures of evil with just, with justice, compassion, and transforming power of love, prophetic words and deeds with challenge us, not which challenged us, but challenge us. This source is in the present tense. Now every religion loves prophets. Oh, we love a prophet, but we love them in the past tense not the present tense. Everyone loves a prophet when they're dead. After their blasphemous paradigm sharing prophecies have either been adopted into the mainstream or co-opted by the mainstream. 300 years after Jesus was crucified by Rome, Rome became Christian. Fifty years after Martin Luther King was killed for prophesizing against racism, war and capitalism, Dodge, the car company, used his voice to help them sell trucks during the Super Bowl. Do you think Dodge or any other American company would have proudly tried to align themselves with Martin Luther King 50 or 60 years ago? In 1966, the Gallup poll said that 63% of Americans had a severely objectionable view of Martin Luther King. But now, ho oh, oh, ho, decades later, MLK has his own holiday. Streets are named after him. Parks in every city. Statues of him have been erected, and every year we hear his words decontextualized and watered down so much that even Mitch McConnell quotes Dr. King on January 15. People love prophets, but only in the past tense. In the present tense, prophets are vilified because prophets in their own time are the first ones to demand change. They are the first to speak up and speak out. They are the first to stick their necks out and preach against the injustice that we all take for granted. A little nerdy di- digression here, if I may. Interesting that the third translation for the Greek word prophecy suggests that Greek, the Greek prefix pro, P-R-O, in addition to meaning before, both temporally and spatially, can also mean first can mean first. Thus, the prophet is literally the first to speak. Prophets are the first to declare something we presently accept as good to actually be evil. Evil. Now, I'm not going to debate theodicy here, but believe me, evil is a thing. Evil is a thing. And our faith calls us us to resist evil, to resist it like Theodore Parker did. The great abolitionists. Our faith calls us to rise against evil, like Dan Daria did, the Afro Brazilian woman who led a whole maroon community against the Portuguese to free Black people from slavery. Our faith says we must confront evil, like John Brown, a white man who said slavery cannot stand and took up arms to fight against it. Our faith says, we should transform reality like black women did in Georgia who voted like our whole country's democracy depended on them in November. Our second source calls us to heed the prophetic voice, the first speakers in the present tense. In other words, our faith doesn't allow us to wait quietly in the shadows for 300 years or even 50 years after, while twiddling our thumbs after the first rebuke by a prophet. Our faith does not give us the luxury of waiting around for history to vindicate a prophetic message before we cast our lot with the prophet. Our faith calls us to contemporaneously respond to the prophet. Now, friends, when it comes to, to prophets of social justice, our faith calls us to be what I'm calling today is a theory called the first follower. The first follower theory. Some of you may be familiar with this theory and for others, it may be new. So I asked Amy to tell this story today very specifically about the emperor who had no clothes because it's a perfect allegory. It's a perfect metaphor for prophecy. That little girl was a prophet. That little girl who says, Daddy, this man is naked walking down the street. She spoke the unpopular, unvarnished truth. And the first person to agree with her publicly was her first follower. In all social movements, there must be a first follower. Without a first follower, the prophecy, and sometimes the prophet, themselves will die immediately. The first follower grants legitimacy to the prophet. The first follower is the one who makes it okay for everyone else to follow. Now this is dangerous work to be uh, so closely aligned contemporaneously with prophets, but friends, this is our call, this is our duty. We are called to be the first followers to these first speakers. We cannot wait. We cannot wait until these ideas become more palatable to the general population. From waiting until these values go mainstream. I'll never forget in the, in the '70s, <laughs> there was an the expression that, that we all use, black people use. We used to say right on. you know, Some of y'all remember that. right on, man, you know, put your fists in the air and a little shake like that and smile. Right on. It's powerful, Black power right on but I'll never forget <laughs> that expression right on was utilized in a commercial in the 70s because it was so popular in our movement that meant something but it got co-opted by right guard the deodorant y'all remember aerosols right it got co-opted by right guard right guard had a commercial with a white guy he said I love right guard right on We can't wait until movements become co-opted into commercials. We can't wait. UUs did not wait until the Supreme Court to grant marriage equality. UUs didn't wait until it was popular to perform same-sex marriages. And UUs are not waiting now until Enbridge Oil Company does the right thing at the headwaters. We are following. We are the first followers of the indigenous prophets who have said enough damage to our land and water. We are called to the fringe. In fact, when we become a first follower, I believe friends that the fringe moves, it gets thicker and it gets wider and it gets stronger until the fringe becomes the center and encapsulates and suffocates evil and injustice. It's no longer the fringe then. The gift and burden of being a prophetic messenger isn't arbitrarily placed upon anyone. Rather, it comes from an individual's spiritual and moral readiness to bear that gift. And that burden of being a navi, a messenger, and to carry out its demands. The ability to be a prophetic voice rests upon the strength and persistence to withstand others' apathy, their callousness, their judgment, and sometimes their hatred of the surrounding community and to keep calling it out over and over and over again, because it's burning in their heart. Now, most of us will not meet these prophets. Most of us did not meet Dr. King, did not know Malcolm X. Elizabeth Cady Stanton, or Bayard Rustin, or any number of the famous prophetic folks that fill the indexes of our faith and line the walls of our personal libraries. But if we expand our gaze, really expand our gaze, we may see them all around us. We may see them all around us. If we expand our gaze, we may see our neighbor stand up for science at the school board meeting. We may see our relatives in red states place Black Lives Matter signs up to have them cut down every single day. If we expand our gaze of prophecy, we may see teens like Greta Thunberg come across the ocean in a boat to tell the UN that our planet matters. We may see young white adults like we did this past summer say enough already to the gradualisms of the baby boomers. Enough already. We may see an elderly white man in New York knocked to the ground by cops for standing with Black lives. We may see his propheticness in his bodily response. We may see the Democrats in Texas move out of state to save our right to vote. And Black legislatures get arrested yesterday for attempting to save our democracy. We may see them and we can be that first, second, third, or 10,000th first follower. In closing, I wanna remind us that this church, our church, your church is at its most powerful when we embrace it, our role as a countercultural force for justice. And I want to leave you with some excerpt, um, excerpts that have been adapted from Dr. King himself. And he says this The church must be reminded that it is not the servant of the state, but rather the conscience of the state. It must be the guide and the critique of the state and never its tool. If the church does not recapture its prophetic zeal, it will become an irrelevant social club without moral or spiritual authority. If the church does not participate actively in the struggle for peace and for economic and racial justice, it will forfeit the loyalty of millions. But if the church will free itself from the shackles of defending the status quo, and recover its great historic mission and speak fearlessly and insistently in terms of justice, it will enkindle the imagination of humankind and fire the souls of all people, imbuing them with a glowing and ardent love for truth, justice, and peace. Now that was a prophet. Next week, I'll tackle our fifth source in another sermon. So read up and engage our faith. Blessed be. And now a friend and a a prophetic uh, graduate of Luther Seminary, Joe Davis, um, is going to share with us what we need to do. We need to show up, be that first follower.
5: our ancestors' as dreams We were each called to this place, this time and this season You may not yet know the rhyme or the reason You may not feel, think, or believe in the same things I believe in But we've been asked to show up Show up from wherever you are from You can come here to be free Bring your full self, both your head and your heart your hands and your feet, and anything and everything infinitely beyond any duality, your sexuality, gender, race, age, or ability, we all have the ability to be. Without you, I'm incomplete. Without you, there is no we. I need you not just to survive, but to thrive.
0: Thanks for listening to this podcast from First Universalist Church of Minneapolis. We're a faith community committed to racial justice. And together, we give, receive, and grow in the universalist spirit of love and hope. To learn more about who we are and our ministry, please visit us online at firstuniversalistchurch.org.
5: Join me at the table, for it is wide and there is lots of food to eat. So show up and be fed.